Of the NRL All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back for the weekly talk and footy episode of the podcast. Fantastic round three that we've just had now. We're actually oh, about two hours away from kickoff for round four. Different teams under pressure and a few different trends that are starting to come up. And a lot of topics, like always in rugby league, that are fun to discuss from a fan's perspective. So I got Perso back on tonight because Perso's had a, a couple of week hiatus. Uh, Luke's been on, Wilfred's been on. Time for Perso to come back, especially because we're going to talk a little bit about his West Tigers tonight. Uh-huh. So, Perso, welcome back, mate. Yeah. Perfect timing for you to jump back on. Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're not going to get yeah. out of it. Sorry, mate. Can, we're going to have to talk well, about it. You know me, I, I'm not surprised, so... <laughs> Yeah, for those that don't know, Perso is a, um, a fairly pessimistic Tigers fan. So it's, um, you know, if they're going bad... I'd say realistic. <laughs> Pez are realistic, yeah. Uh, so on today's podcast, guys, we're going to be going through half a dozen topics like always. If you haven't tuned into the Talk and Footy podcast episodes from NRL All-Stars before, it's basically just looking at a round review where the footy's at at the moment and then having a look at some of the key issues in the game as well as some other things in the game that are interesting. Uh, last week, we had a great historical chat about uh, whether Brad Fittler should be an immortal or not and looking back on his career as well. So certainly talk about everything that's in the news as well and dissect it and have some rotating guests that love their footy and love to have a chat. And it's meant to be a podcast as well that, you know, as a fan myself, um, as someone that loves footy and thinks he knows a little bit about it, you know, I, I do like to talk about it, but I really don't like some of the media outlets if they've got a little bit of bias in there or even from a player perspective or an NRL perspective. Often, you know, you don't get the stories or, the, or you know, the honest opinions that you want. This podcast is designed just to say it how it is. If you disagree with some of my opinions, that's all good. It's all a discussion. It's all part of sport. And it's all fun. And that's perfectly fine. So I'm happy for you to have a crack at, at me on Twitter or whatever else. That's all good. Or you can go after some of the guests if you want. That's even better. Uh, but for this episode, we're going to start off with the round review. Before we do, if you haven't heard many person on the podcast before, Perso has been on many, many footy podcasts before. Diehard West Tigers fan, like I said, and he's going to have a, a podcast up sometime this year to start the season as well that you'll be able to tune into at some point too, Perso. Yeah, hopefully very soon. It's been a couple of hectic weeks for me, actually. I was just moving into this house I've been building for the last 13 months, and uh, your wife had an operation last week, which is nothing serious, but um, she's a bit sore and sorry, so that's sort of occupied me for the last two weeks, but we should be on track to um, launch it probably next week which would be good after a month worth of footy. I think that'll go and sort quite well. Yep. And you're going to have some different um, guests from the podcast world and stuff on, on your podcast. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the Supercats podcast community is pretty, pretty um, friendly actually. And everyone seems to be on board. So it will be a good, uh, good thing. Mainly Supercats. And there's another one I'm going to do sort of, well, I've got other gears, but um, yeah, that'll be the main one to start with. Good stuff. Well, make sure you look out for those ones. I'll certainly mention it when person's back on the podcast again as a guest in the future and uh, and it's up and running. But in the meantime, we, we do have round three done and dusted. So it's always good to start off the footy chat, talking footy about round three and, and what we saw. Uh, look, it's it's one of those things where it's it's actually become even tighter. So I know when I was talking about round two, after that, I was talking to Luke uh, and we we're saying, you know, in the last decade, we haven't had a closer winning margin 
average across the first two rounds as, as what we've got this year. Um, and we also don't have teams that are hitting 30-plus points at all either, um, aside from one in 16 games. Round three done and dusted. And similar trends, like obviously we saw a little bit more scoring, which I think is really good, but it is now the lowest winning margin on average since 1998. So when we're worried about the blowouts and stuff last year, which we touched on last podcast, you know, that's that's not happening anymore. Um, there was a couple of blowouts, only three though. Uh, the Cowboys 38 to 12 over the Broncos, uh, the 38 to 20 Panthers over the Knights, although you can just about discount that one. Uh, and the 36-12 drubbing of the Dragons that the Sharks handed them. Other than that, though, like really, there's only two real big blow-ups there. The rest of them, you know, we had multiple. We had one one-point game, multiple two- and four-point games as well. It was a really good, really good round of close footy. Um, and we did manage to get three teams out of the eight games score 30-plus points to win, and that only happened once in the first two rounds. So I guess, personally, my takeaway from that is it's great that the footy's staying close whilst we're also getting some scoring back in the game, which I enjoyed watching on the weekend. It was a cracking round of footy, wasn't it? Uh, really enjoyable, aside from one or two games, but uh, which I'm sure we'll touch on one later. <laughs> but um, even with the margins that you said, you can you can make an excuse for all three, really. Even the, the Cowboys and Broncos was eight six at half-time. That was a cracking game of footy, and the Cowboys just were too dominant for the Broncos in the second half. But uh, obviously with the Panthers, if Barnett didn't go off, it could have been a different story with Knights. And um, the other one, the, the sewer went off for 10 in the bin. The, the Sharks took advantage and scored, I think, about 18 points while he was off. So uh, yep, it, it's, I've, I've been impressed with how um, a lot of the, the sides that we used to expect in the last two seasons to be just to run over every week have improved a fair bit and the competition seems to be a little bit tighter and it's been good but there's other factors as well with the weather and all that sort of thing as well and I think one thing a lot of people haven't thought about too is um, teams playing in front of home crowds again. Yep. It's I think that's been a massive factor in competitiveness of They've been playing in front of no crowds or they've been playing in Queensland in front of half crowds and all that sort of stuff. So I think, especially in the early rounds, teams are up for it playing in front of their home game, home crowd. And, and I think that's improved a lot too. So the competition is very good at the moment. Yeah, it is. And uh, again, mentioned, I chatted about this with Luke in a bit of depth, but I really like the footy uh, as far as, you know, it actually looks like footy that I want to watch. It's, it's flowing a lot more than what it has in the past, but it's also not too fast where you're getting the... The, the run-ons and the demolitions and teams not being able to make comebacks and things like that. It was, it was another really good round of footy. And, like, that Sharks game to open the round where they beat the Dragons 38-12, to the Sharkies were fantastic. But it was one of those games, too, where normally, like, I was – I head into those games thinking, oh, crap, like, I'm, I'm pretty close to where they were playing. I'm about 40 minutes away. And it was pouring rain. And I just sort of thought, oh, no, don't do this to me, this round of footy. I don't want this to be a terrible game. And I was fully prepared for that to be an absolute bludger of a, you know, 14-13 type of game where eight field goals got kicked in the mud and one went over and stuff to win the game. That's how I thought it would go. And credit to those teams, like it wasn't really like that. The Dragons, you know, didn't attack very well. But at the same time, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of errors. So, and the Sharkies like played like there was no wet weather at all, which was great. I, I loved it. How impressive were they? Oh, in they the were the, one of the most they, impressive teams, I reckon, the, the, the way their attack went. And their, their attack, you know, the first two rounds, they had good weather and it wasn't as good as what it was in the wet. <laughs> no, not at all. But they, they looked really slick in that game. I thought that everything they've sort of been working to might have been a little bit rusty the first two rounds and that just sort of all clicked. 
in that game and they looked really slick. Yeah, they did. I'm, I'm quite impressed. And I think that you can see with them round one, two and three, their footy coming together a bit more. And certainly when you look at their stats, their completions and things, that's all there for them. But even just the eye test of um, guys like Nico Hines, who is running the ball at an incredible rate, like he's still playing fullback, but he's very much getting into the playmaking role and directing his team around the park. And you can see it when you're watching it and you can see it, that Dragons game. Uh, it was like it only took him two weeks to basically now be comfortable as a halfback and and feel like he's been at the Sharks for three years from what he looked like in that Dragons game to me. So I I think they're looking really good. They've obviously got some players to even come back to with uh, Wade Graham back soon. And also uh, McInnes is still not 100% healthy and on the bench. So they, they looked great. Um, as far as the highlight team, though, you know, I, my highlight team was the Eels for the round. I liked what the Sharkies did, but like you said, Seward did get bin. But for the Eels to beat the Storm in that type of match, and it was a cracking match as well, 28-24, golden point game. Uh, I thought that was phenomenal. And it was also like, I know one of the storylines in the off-season per se was a lot of stuff said about the Eels and that was coming from within the Eels too and from the players, from the staff, from the club, but also from fans. And a lot of it was like, you know, we we feel like this is our year. We think we can step up. And I was kind of a little bit surprised because obviously they've had quite a few changes. They've got guys like Sevo out until the middle of the season at best. And their outside backs didn't look anywhere near as good as they normally are to me. Um, so I was quite surprised at how confident they were. But, you know, they started behind. Brandon Smith scored 12 minutes in. Uh, Pap kicked the goal and they were 6-0 down already within 13 minutes. And I sort of thought, oh, if you're going to beat the Storm, you want to end up starting on top. You don't want to be chasing. And I sort of expected the Eels to struggle a little bit. And then they just really came at the storm. And I really liked it. And then obviously towards the second half, like right on halftime, we had Nick Meany go over and then um, the storm scored right after the break. And then I thought, oh, well, the Eels are done and dusted now. And they came back at them again after being down quite a bit. So I thought it was really impressive from the Eels. Um, Any time that you can beat the Storm is impressive. But for them to come back at the Storm twice after the Storm seemed to have the momentum and get on top of them, and then to go into the golden point and to get the win, yeah, they were they were really impressive for me. And it's one of those wins, per se, I think that they might kick on into round four with that momentum and confidence. Oh, 100%. That's um, the third time in a row they've beaten the Storm near. Actually, I picked them on the weekend on the back end of that. But... Um, Back on what you said, yeah, it's the they've always had that sort of stigma around them that they've been a really good side for the last couple of years. They can't sort of take it to that next level. I was actually quite impressed. I think they improved, like they had a level under their sleeve in that game. The first couple of rounds they came out, yeah, they weren't bad, but they weren't impressive. Later on, after they beat uh, the Panthers thirty six nil in the trial, which no one pays attention to the trial, but they everyone was saying, oh, the Eels look awesome, and then. They were in a shootout against the Titans and they just seemed to turn up. I think their middle forwards really turned up. That was the big the big difference. On the weekend against the Storm, they, they were quite dominant. And, uh, yeah, cracking game footy, as you said. But I really like the Eels. I think they've got a couple of players moving on next year. This sort of premiership window, the way the salary cap goes, this year sort of has to be their year. They've been there and thereabouts. The way they the, that semi final, the preliminary final against the Panthers last year was a cracking game. That they uh, really stood up in that. So I think they've taken a lot out of that. They could be a really threat this year. Yeah, I think some people are starting to come around on the Eels a little bit. When you're looking at the stats as well, like they ended up completing close to eighty percent, which is fantastic against the Storm because the Storm are one of those teams that generally force a lower completion rate out of their opposition. 
So uh, you know, close to 80% is really good from the Eels and it's something as well where, you know, when the pressure's on their, their spine and their playmakers in particular, Moses and Brown, you can see them start to make errors and start to not complete sets and they didn't do that. You can also see their forwards especially giving penalties and they only conceded five in total for the game and it was obviously an 84-minute game as well. So, yeah, when the numbers all stack up for them too. What about for you? Who was, who was your highlight team or your most impressive win on the weekend? Um, probably the Sharks. I was really impressed with them to be the highlight team. I'll be, the Cowboys too have surprised me. I'll... I'll um... I'll say that not only the win against the Raiders last week, but um, they were that dominant in that game against the Broncos. I actually tipped the Broncos. It's <laughs> as well, I'm going. <laughs> but um, I think that I, I had the Cowboys tip for the wooden spoon this year, and um, I don't think they're going to get that. They just seem to have a lot more cohesion this year. I think uh, like Chad Townsend's no superstar, but he's a game manager, and um, he, he's seemed to be able to bring out the best of Dearden. The forwards are all seem to be working together. I don't think they're going to threaten the top sides, like they're, but they're, they're quite impressive. Yeah. Compared to where I thought they should be, they, they, they were really impressive. Their line speed and defence was relentless all day. Their kicking game was unbelievable. But I think the poor old Cobo got pushed back in goals about three times from the kick chase and the corners, and they were just relentless and they didn't stop. Yeah, I agree. And like, it's a good one to pinpoint too, because my low light of the round was the Broncos. Um, and I, and it's, it's sort of, it's a good one to talk about the Cowboys too, because I'm not sure what to make of it because I too had the Cowboys certainly bottom four. And I, I think I'm going to stick strong with it. Like, I think that they look a lot better and props to them for improving. And I think that they, they're better than what I thought they would be. But, you know, how much of it is the Cowboys were really good and the Broncos just really didn't offer a lot. Uh, I think that's the question. And it's one that will probably be answered this round in a couple of days when they take on the Roosters and we'll kind of get a bit of a litmus test with a, a definite top eight side that they have to play now this round. But when you're looking at the stats for the Cows, you know, they completed 92%. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. You know, 92% of your sets you're going to complete. 1,791 run metres. The Broncos had 1,342. That's like, you know, a 40% more run metres in them than what the Broncos had. And obviously, you know, the possession was swung a little bit. They had a 56% possession, but, you know, they just, their forwards were ripping. Their kicking was great and their organisation was great. But Perso, like I said, Broncos were my low light. You know, how much of that is on the is on the Broncos? You know, because I just think when I'm having a look at it, I'm wondering how fast it's going to take a toll on Adam Reynolds being the only guy in that spine that's really giving anything to the playmaking. You know, they, they don't have a great hooker um, and all respect to these players, but these guys just aren't there yet. Or maybe they'll just be good role players. But, um, you know, Tessie, Tessie New, I, I really like, but he's not that that guy that they can rely on yet either. Um, and if you're going to start rotating your sixes and maybe Alvin Kelly's there now, maybe he's not there next week, it, it puts a lot on Reynolds. And I just don't think that he can handle that. You know, he's a great player. But he needs more, and I think that we saw that. I, you know, I didn't think that there was oh, there you. was much, there was not much in that Broncos attack. And one of the other things too is that Reynolds. Um, one of the things I actually chatted about last season when he signed is like nobody is mentioning the fact that like last year I, I noticed Reynolds kick out on the full a number of times and and do those little errors, and everyone kind of it's a real rugby league thing, right? Where people 
especially around players or teams they like, they base their opinion on the most positive thing they can remember about them. And whether that's three or four years ago, it doesn't matter. You know, that's who that player is to them. (laughs) They kind of don't really base it in reality sometimes. And likewise, you know, when they don't like someone, someone can play fantastic football for two years and they're still going to look at what they were doing for three years before that. And I sort of felt a little bit like it was like that with Reynolds because I, I he was making kicks with errors with his kicking game that we hadn't seen before too much in the last sort of 18 months. Kicked down the full again um, on the weekend. He, he had another dud kick as well. A couple of times too. Yeah, one, it was twice, wasn't it? Yeah, one was like a dropout. That's <laughs> right, yeah. So, I mean, it's it, the, I think the pressure is also going to start taking a toll on him. Um, and I just don't really see... I didn't really see anything from them that was phenomenal with the Broncos and for them to get smacked by the Cowboys, you know, again, we come back to that question with the Cowboys, are the Cowboys that good? Are they going to be like a, a top eight team? Are they going to be a top five or six team? Because if you're going to lose, you know, 38 to 12, you'd want to be losing to a top four or five team in the NRL. If you're fair thinking about even like contending in the top 10, let alone the top eight. Yeah. Are they really that good? Or is it the Broncos are really that bad? You know, I kind of think that a lot of it is also on the Broncos. And I just, for a good forward pack, they got dominated a little bit and their attack just wasn't there. And I don't see what they do this round four matchup to get any better. <laughs> That's the big thing. Oh, 100%. They got dominated by a lesser pack on, on paper. And it was relentless. It, it, you should see the same old Broncos. Once the game was gone, they sort of disjointed. They didn't know what to do. They were sort of struggling to fawn. They made silly errors. Uh, like you said, Reynolds was trying to do everything and he was getting frustrated and made a couple of errors, kicked out in full, going for 40-20 and kicked out in the full another time, then kicked out in the full from a, from a dropout. It's like he just trying to do everything himself. There was That's the problem in the spine. They got that you got Reynolds and the rest of it's really sort of up in the air. Or Turpin offers nothing. No, as you said, Tess and I he's come back from injury. He's not a bad player, but he's only young as well. Albert Kelly at five forward. Even I don't even think Payne Haas had anywhere near his best game that he he can play either. No, he did and not. That, he's no, a, he's not. their main sort of man, and uh, you sort of at some point you're going, "Where's Haas? Is he still in the field?" So. Yeah, he kind of shied away from it, and uh, to be honest, he's he's sort of done that a couple of games now. Um, you know, he only had a, he had a dozen hit ups, which is fine, but you know, I think his stats look a lot more impressive because he had a junk line break at the end and and a few tackle breaks in there, and that sort of helped him out. But that was right at the death of the game when it was all over. So yeah, it's I think the Broncos need to show a lot more than what they did. So they were my most disappointing team on the weekend. Um, let's move on to our second topic. And that is the Tigers situation. So it's obviously one close to home for you. Uh, and it's one, you know, I sort of, when the, well, the rumblings are mad, like... It's what I predicted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of Tigers fans either predicted it or wanted it. But, you know, it's... I kind of relented on talking about it because it started... The chatter was there from round one. And it's sort of one of those things where I don't like always just buying into um, some of the propaganda or exaggerated stuff in the NRL media sometimes. And, you know, to talk about a coach getting sacked the first game of the season, it was just a bit ridiculous to me. Um, but obviously the drums are beating louder. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes. So it's it's a big enough situation. We need to probably put the comb over it. And you're a Tigers fan. So I'm really interested in your opinion because I've got a real controversial one per se. Um, 
as far as we'll get into the nitty gritty of it in a minute, but as far as should Madge go, um, I'm a I'm a yes and a no, but and I'll explain. Like I don't I don't think that Madge is a terrible coach, um, and I don't think that it is anywhere near as much his fault that the Tigers no, are going no. how they are as what is being put on him. But I also don't see how at this point it's a repairable situation for him as a coach. Uh, so I think they, he has to move on for him or the Tigers to be successful. But at the same time, it's a bit of a scapegoat to me. And, and I'll go into it a little bit more. But, you know, do you think that it's all on Madge? And do you think that he's the one that should be getting sacked? Oh, 100% it's not all on Madge. Uh, it just doesn't fit. That's the biggest problem. Madge isn't a bad coach at all, but he doesn't have the cattle that he's used to coaching. That's the biggest problem. And I don't know whether he's got the ability to stray away from his structures and what he knows works in solid terms or to adapt to the, the cattle in front of him. The biggest problem the Tigers have, they have way too many players in that side that are just happy being NRL players, yep. happy getting that contract and being an NRL player and living that lifestyle that everything goes on. There's not enough players in that side that have a drive to better themselves to become an origin player or win a premiership. There's just too many that have been there for too long that are just happy playing NRL. Well, you want guys that are absolutely filthy at losing. Like, you want guys... Throwing their mouth guard when they're walking off and get, getting annoyed, you know, which is that's what you want. Which is why when Hastings the other week when against Melbourne in round one, he, you know, oh, it was a great performance for the Tigers. We only just lost to Melbourne, like, and then he's come out straight away and gone, he's filthy that we lost the game, and that's exactly what you want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Tigers under Madge have got a thirty-seven percent win percentage, which isn't good, but at the same time, it's it's basically on par with. The, the decade before him, really. So it's not like he's done, you know, much worse. But obviously, it's it's not good enough. But when you're looking at this season, though, you know, it, a lot of people are saying he needs to go now. I think that, again, it's a bit recency bias. Like, round one, they almost beat the Storm. The Storm were obviously underdone, but still, you know, the Tigers had that game, and I thought it was a very good performance. Round two is a problem. You know, they didn't play well against Newcastle, and they got done 26-4, to four, a bit more comprehensively than what the scoreboard said. Um, and they didn't put in enough in that game. So that was an issue. But we're seeing now that Newcastle's actually been quite good. You know, that, that's that's them coming off smacking the Roosters in round one, uh, 20 to six as well. So you, know, you could make some argument that it's not as bad. Um, and then round three, this was, I think, the loss that really broke the camel's back. So I would, I understand it um, sort of from a round three perspective because they lost to the Warriors and the Warriors were equally inept. And I think Nathan Brown afterwards summed it up by saying, I don't know how we won that game. We were terrible, you know, and yeah, that pretty much sums it up for the Tigers too. So I, I sort of feel like it's a bit overstated that they've been terrible all year. I think that the weekend, though, was the real backbreaker. Oh, they've been awful. <laughs> it's just the defensively, they actually haven't been too bad. The, the, the effort is there. They're trying. They just don't have the execution. Yeah, that, that was the frustrating thing against the Knights. Like they, they had just so many stupid errors and they just don't look like a team that's gelling together and there's no cohesion. And then against the Warriors, they're even worse. But like they lost 16-12, yeah. But when uh, – who was a good set to the – Montoya got sent to the sin bin mm. for 10 to go. It was 16-12. They should have had the players to – like the Warriors were playing terrible as well. It should have been someone in that side that could step up. And I think it was they had 
two full sets on the Warriors 20, and they went left every time when the player's missing on the right. Like, the match would have been sitting up there just pulling his hair out of that. Like, uh, I don't think they buy into what he's selling so much. It just obviously it's not there. But at the same time, like, you look at the, like, surely a player, Luke Brooks, has played 150 odd games now. Surely he takes that game by the scruff of the straight while Hastings is out and shows his point, not, I'm going to win this game. He just doesn't look interested. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I mean, I think the big thing with it is when you're having a look at it, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a bit controversial here. If, if Madge gets fired, I find it acceptable, provided that they don't do the same things over again. If they're just going to fire him and do what they've done for the last decade, then you may as well just leave him there. And I, I'll, I'll say what I mean here about that. It's, if he goes, the front office needs to have a broom put through it. Everyone should be gone. 100%. And that includes Pasco. That includes all of them. Well, uh, the- Pasco's overseen everything from fucking Potter to Taylor to Cleary to Badge. Uh, yeah. So when is, he, when is he accountable for the results on the field? And, and this is the thing. Like when you're looking at the, the coaches that have been beforehand, and funnily enough, the last long-term coach I had was Tim Sheens, who has now come back to the club. He finished in 2012. Uh, now, Tim Sheens was succeeded by Potter. Potter had 48 games before he got sacked. Jason Taylor came in. And by the way, they were still playing, paying both Tim Sheens and Michael Potter when Jason Taylor came in. Oh, no. So that's a part of where I'm getting at here and how they're managing things. They were paying three coaches for the 2015 season when Jason Taylor was coaching, and he only got 51 games. And then they had then they paid him out for Ivan Cleary to come in, and Ivan Cleary had 43 games. When Michael Maguire came in, uh, the three coaches before him averaged 47 games between them, you know, 43 to a 51 range of how many games they got before they were actually paid out to leave. You cannot keep doing that, and they're going to do it again. Now, if you're going to do that, like, Madge has had 70 games, okay? So he's had basically around about a season more than those guys when you look at how many games they had. Okay, fair enough. At least he's had a few, uh, at least he's had a season more worth of games. But if you're just going to sack him and then just keep rolling the ball along like you were before, it's not going to be fixed. You know, there's there's wholesale problems in that place. So if you put the broom through, I'm happy for Maguire to go. If they're not going to do that, then, you know, and, and like a good example is, when you're looking at the decision-making, right, everyone puts the stuff on Madge on the field per se, you know. But what ends up on the field, at least whatever percentage you want, you know, if you think a coach contributes 80%, fine, 60%, 50%, 30%, whatever, you think the coach contributes to the on-field performance. But whatever percentage is left is that front office putting that team onto the park in a variety of ways. And one of those ways is the decision-making. Now, Luke Brooks asked for a release twice in the off-season, for the life of me, I don't know how any head office looks at that and says, no, we want to pay Brooks his 850K a year still, and we don't want to release him. Like, per se, if it costs him 200 grand, 300 grand, surely the smart move is to go, yeah, we'll get rid of books, Brooks and we're going to rebuild because they've never gone through with a rebuild. They've always tried to do a quick rebuild and then say, no, nah, now we want to make the finals. Whereas a smart team will go, we need three years. And then we're going to try and make the finals. 
and they actually go through with it. The Tigers head office hasn't ever gone through with anything in the better part of a decade. And that's my biggest problem, I think, with the sacking of Maguire if it happens. Oh, it's pointless sacking Maguire. Are you going to just put it back to another five years? <laughs> Who's knocking down the door? There's not a plethora of first-grade coaches that are lining up to come and take the gig at the Tigers, that's for sure. There's not many in the market that aren't there anyway. But as you said, look, the Brooks... Think, well, why didn't they let him go? Uh, the rumor was that when Shane's came back, said he's not going anywhere. He kept him there. The deal with the Knights was done. See, that's the other thing too. I've got to throw to you. Like you bring Tim Shane's in, and so Maggie isn't even making these decisions right. So by all accounts, Tim Shane's is the one that made Luke Brooks be playing in a Tigers jersey. This that's year. the rumor. Yeah, that, that's what so, it was. I mean, if Maggie doesn't even get to make those sort of decisions on his side or his roster, then you got to take some of the responsibility off his shoulders and put it on someone else's. Oh, 100%. And Brooks looks like he's a player that's just playing, going through the motions, doesn't want to be there. He doesn't look happy, which, you know, like it's, well, I don't really care, to be honest. You're on 850 grand a year. You're a professional footballer. Like, I don't know. To me, it, it made no sense when there was the rumours he would go and we signed Hastings and let him go. Like, And then we didn't. So now he looks like he's just stuck his thumb up his bum and just going to be stubborn. And he's one of the players that's just happy to be an NRL player. I'll just take me 850 grand a year, flop around in the field for 80 minutes a game and so be it. We win, we lose, we don't, who cares? The Luciano Lua's leaving now too. And I actually laughed a little bit out loud um, when I read an article the other day on my phone sitting on the lounge, which Andrew John said Luciano is a, is a player in the Tiger side that can turn them around this week. You know, I just, I, I don't understand where Joey's coming from. Love Joey. He's a lot smarter than me. I don't understand it because I, he's another one where I just sort of would have said, you know what, like Luciano is one of those players person that you said exactly. He doesn't put in near enough. He's a bit lazy. He's not consistent enough. And he's just not a winner to me in how he plays. Um, he can do some nice stuff sometimes, but it, he signs somewhere else for next year. You know, why not just let him go? And then you might have been able to throw the, the third year at Talaki that's now left, you know. And this goes away straight to the topic of recruitment and why I'm also saying throw the broom through. I, I believe um, Warren McDonald's come back to the club. So, you know, they have actually changed recruitment there, which is good. But, I mean, you've still got Pasco there making the decisions and things as well. But you've got a young back rower like Talagi that's just gotten his first crack in first grade for a game or two. And he's looked really good in these couple of games. Um, and now he's already uh, rumoured to have signed elsewhere. And you've kept Luciano Lelua a year when you could have maybe offered to pay half of his salary and, and let him go to the Cowboys earlier if there was salary cap constraints and just play, played a young kid like Tulagi 80 minutes and put Garner in the other side and just sort of see how it goes. You know, these are the type of recruitment decisions I don't understand. And then when you're talking about how they fix it, well, it's got to be through recruitment. But when you look at all the players that they either let go that are a promising junior or that they don't sign, like Latrell Mitchell that they missed out on, you just have to say, well, that's not on match. <laughs> you know, like you guys yeah, are the ones that aren't being able to point. come through with these decisions. Oh, Luciano, let him go. He started a decent wicket at the time. He's obviously getting paid massive overs to get the Cowboys next year. But, I mean, that's money in the cap that we could have had to try and retain someone else or look at someone else. To Like to Lange, he has signed all... No other club has come out and said he signed, but he's come out in the media and said he was in tears when he was telling Maggie mm. he was leaving and stuff. So it's a done deal, you would think. And I think the only 
thing around that is mainly have to lose a player to accommodate the cap or something like that. But it's pretty well done. It's, uh, <laughs> and then the whole Brooks thing, like you just said, look, you look at David Nofaluma. As soon as he signed that four-year deal. Put his feet up. 100%. He's not the player he was for two. Like he's just, it's this, and he's one of those players who's just quite happy being an NRL mm. player. I mean, good luck to him. You know, you get to pay good money on the rest of it, but it's like you got, I think there's just too much of that attitude through that club for whatever reason. has And it's been an headset basket case since they got rid of Shane's. Well, not saying Shane's would have been, if they had a kept, it would have been better, but it was just stability all the way through. They were in two preliminary finals in 10 and 11, and then they got rid of him in 13. Since then, they've gone through, what, four or five coaches? And the just chops and changes. You listen to things that were said too that uh, when they say called Big Four, like Aaron Woods wanted to stay at the Tigers. I've heard a podcast he said with uh, with Dan Camp on the black. He only left because they pretty much forced him. They wouldn't tell him who the coach was going to be, and then they sacked the coach, and then they had to make a decision. And the Tigers wouldn't give him the time, so he signed with the Bulldogs. And then he regretted that. He left the Bulldogs halfway through that season and went to Sharks. The whole situation through all that was just poorly managed from above. Yeah, and, like, it's a good point because some fans at the moment, especially, like, young fans that are maybe only, you know, 19 or 20, you'll be saying, Aaron Woods, like, what difference does that make? Like, Aaron Woods at the Tigers spent, I'd say, two-year period as the best prop in the world. Um, He was club captain, state and origin prop at the time. State and test problem. And when you've got a guy of that stature, Perso, that's when you come out and you make a statement. And this is where the front office stuff comes into it, right? You you make sure that you get Woods at that time because you get Woods and then all of a sudden Woods says to Teddy, hey, mate, I'm here. Let's stay. Instead of all of them saying, let's all leave. Um, and 100%. then all of a sudden you might have Tedesco still there. It's just such a roll-on effect from how the front office manages things in the sporting club. It doesn't even have to be the NRL. It is just such a big deal that is overlooked. That's what it was. They didn't know whether they were coming or going. They couldn't get a straight answer out of anyone. There was no forward thinking from, like, the, this is what they're talking about, the board, not even the coaches at the time was Taylor. Woods just said that he was fine to stay there if Taylor stayed, but they couldn't tell him if Taylor was going yeah, to stay. Yeah, exactly. And then they then they sacked him two rounds in after they didn't like, they didn't sack him leading up that year and then two rounds in the next year mm-hmm. they sacked him yeah and and I'll tell you what else with that as well with that point they had a big four as you mentioned and the big four people might not remember were Aaron Woods Tedesco Moses and Brooks they only managed to get one of them and which one did they get the worst Oops. one out of the four you know which they paid overs and to they kill. paid overs to keep him which they wouldn't have had to have paid. You know, if they kept two or three of them at least, you know, it's just how they managed it. And you can even tell, like, why did they pay overs for him? You know, they panicked. They started losing everyone else and they couldn't give anyone any answers. And the only guy that was going to hang around was Brooks. So they paid overs and they gave him a bad contract. It's just, it's it goes all the way back to then, the, the type of management Woods, that the clubs had. Woods left to the dogs for less money. Tedesco went to the Roosters for less money than what was on the table, but they couldn't class a deal. Hmm. And like you said, even just some stability of saying this guy's going to be the coach for the next three years. This is our plan. Exactly. You know, sell it to them. But I don't even think that they can. I don't even think. I don't even know if the West Tigers have a plan to sell to anyone that they're trying to recruit. Oh, they've got a new centre of mediocrity that they're just about built. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
That's well know. finished now. They might have to refurb it itself. Uh, it matches on a hiding and nothing. I don't know. It's not going to solve anything by putting at the moment. You just ride the season out and I don't know, see where it goes from there. But I think that it needs a clean out. The whole club needs a clean out. Yeah, and until you do, you're just not going to get things right, like the recruitment, the decision-making and, and everything else. And what type of club... Oh, this is the point I was making to someone I was chatting to about. There was a West Tigers fan just the other day. What what type of coach wants to go to the West Tigers? You know, if you're, and, and you know, all again, like I said at the top of the podcast, a lot of players and and coaches and stuff aren't going to be totally honest in their media interviews and whatever. No one's going to come out and say it. But I can guarantee you, in coaching circles, everybody's looking at it, going, "Look at that shit fight over there." Well, Flanagan knocked it back. They wanted him as assistant coach, mm. and he just flat out refused. Uh, so this is the thing. Like, and, if you don't have a stable that- club. He's a guy that's probably itching to get back as a, a head coach. Yeah, I mean, someone like Jeff Tuvey can't even get a job for six years or something. Like, and he'll probably he'd probably say no. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's uh, it is a basket case. Uh, personally, to me, the way to fix it is to clean it out, clean the whole place out, try and change the culture, turn over as many players as you can, start from scratch, and be realistic with a three or four or five year plan on how you need to do it. Um, very much, you know, Gould's got hassled for those sort of plans before, but I think that that's but what he does you kind of need job. to do. Yeah. He gets added a lot for that, but that's exactly what they need. Like the Perth Tigers would be great. Cut the whole Western Balmain side of it and get rid of it. Move the franchise to Perth with a whole new board, the whole new entity, and start again, basically. It's pretty much where it's at. It's just a dead set basket case. Yeah, it really is. Look, we spent a lot of time on the West Tigers. Perse is a suffering fan. I don't want to put him through anymore. <laughs> so let's move on. This is a great opportunity just to take a moment to tell you all about a fantastic partner of the All Stars podcast in Topsport. Topsport.com.au. Go straight there or download the app. Topsport, if you haven't heard of them before, is a 100% Australian owned bookmaker. They have often some of the best odds in market that you will see and they take really great care of their customers. We do have a special promo code for All Stars podcast listeners, SC All Stars, all one word. Pop that in the promo code when you actually create an account with Top Sport, and they'll take really good care of you as one of the listeners of the podcast. One of the other great things that Top Sport does have is markets for fantasy point scoring. Now, it's not exactly the same as Supercoach, but it's pretty similar. They've got player performance markets. If you go to the player performance tab in each game, normally those... Markets aren't up until the day of the game, so don't get discouraged if you go in there and can't find them now. But definitely the day of the game or the day before, you'll see player performance markets pop up. And what they are is some individual fantasy score markets. Like, for example, last week there was over, under on Fafita scoring above 50.5. You can have a look at the half a dozen things that equate to points on that, like 0.1 points per run meter and so forth, and have a bit of a go on that. But it's very similar to Supercoach, so you can almost bet on Supercoach. Uh, just have a look at the point scoring system to get an idea on it. But that's a lot of fun too because you can do on uh, all these bets on fantasy scoring and stuff on Top Sport now, which is great. So jump on Top Sport, www.topsport.com.au. Use the promo code SC All Stars to open an account today. Another slightly controversial topic as well the Barnett suspension on the weekend. Now, he got referred straight to the judiciary, Barnett. I think that I've seen everything from it was. Uh, totally fair to I would have given him a bit less after hearing the the hearing that he put forward and the case that he put forward to it's unbelievable he didn't get double that I've even seen people say he should get his contract ripped up which is pretty extreme <laughs> uh, look on my first 
viewing of it. I was watching the game live on Foxtel and I thought it was really bad and I thought he was going to get sent. And I was actually happy. Um, you know, everyone hassles the referees for the decisions and stuff. We really need to applaud the positive ones. That referee made such a good decision and the bunker made such a good decision. That was 100% the right decision to send him. You could not have anything else other than that. So well under the referees, well under the bunker. That was a tough call to make and they got it 100% right because it wasn't even half time yet when he got sent off for that game. Um, but as far as afterwards, you know, obviously, Perso, we've seen many replays and stuff we've heard from Barnett. When I looked at some replays of it in the coming days, I kind of came around on it a little bit, I have to say. It's, I'm probably in the minority. But, you know, as someone that's kind of played footy and stuff, one of the things that's always um, kind of bugged me a little bit when when fans make comments about uh, about what players do on the field, it's so fast. It happens so quickly that you don't even know what you've done half the time. So to me, I, I before the hearing even came about, I could kind of see myself. That I, I sort of thought that maybe... He's running past, he's put his arm up to bump the guy off to make contact. You know, he, he fully meant to make contact, but guys make contact in the line all the time. And as Barnett said in his hearing, uh, or his solicitor said, that Smith didn't run through. He didn't actually run through the line. He kind of stopped. And that ended up making the collision happen um, in a way, not blaming Smith, of course. So I could kind of, especially after the hearing, I could kind of see, you know, he's, he's propped up, he's hit him. And he's, I didn't even think after I looked at the replay six or seven times, I didn't even think that he was really eyeball to eyeball on him. I thought he was watching the ball and where the try was going to potentially be scored. So all in all, you know, I, I was happy with a six-week suspension. Um, I thought that Barnett has done everything he can for people to give him a bit of a break now. You know, he's, he's got, going to cop his medicine. Six weeks is a lot of football, 25% of the season. And I don't think it was as malicious as as some people were saying. And certainly on... On NRL on Fox, you know, I hate to agree with Paul Kent, but he was the only one in the room on a four-person panel that actually said, you guys are kidding yourselves trying to say that it was intentional, you know, and I 100% agree, you know, and if you're saying it's a brain snap, you're saying it's intentional. So that's where I stand on it, probably a bit controversial. I thought the six weeks in the send-off was fair, but I sort of think we can probably ease up on Barney a little bit now. Oh, Chris Smith led with his chin. <laughs> but uh, mate, I agree with you 100. percent And I watched that thing with Kenny as well, and I, I saw him getting bombarded. But it's, it's, I think they got it spot on. It was, it was 100 percent a send off. I think six weeks was pretty well spot on what that deserved. He, uh, it was one of those moments where he was always going to try and brush, but as Smith pulled up, he just let and he just kept leaning, and he went in. The elbow came up, and he clocked him on the chin. He got it wrong. It was there was no way that was intentional. It, it was not a good old fashioned elbow to the jaw, but at the same time, it happened. So he needs to be accordingly punished. Because I think six weeks was fine for that. It, it's, it wasn't intentional at all. He did not go out there. That, 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 I was watching that <laughs> three sixty thing, and I, I was all I hundred percent agree with Kenny. I was getting annoyed with the other guys, just saying oh, I was a brain. Snap. It wasn't a brain snap. He didn't go out there and just go whack. I'm going to not like it. It, it. He was just cutting across the side, came in. Smith was coming in. Smith sort of pulled up. He sort of kept following, and he just clocked him right in the Huckleberry Finn. But I, it's the perfect result, send off and six weeks. I think that's fine. Yeah, the NRL's done a fantastic job with it. I, I really think that is their props for how, how well they've done with it. Uh, it's a controversial case, probably one of the worst ones we've seen for a while. You only get one or two send-offs that season each year. Um, so, you know, it doesn't happen often and whenever it does, everyone expects no, it, it to be. 
intentional or not, it had to be a send-off, and I think they got yeah. it right. I mean, the other thing with it as well that I was sort of thinking to myself is the other thing with intention uh, that I think I will just clarify too for the listeners, you know, I, I don't think either me or Perso were saying that he didn't mean to clip him, but, you know, when you're playing sport, like I do it in basketball as well, you know, when you're running through a screen or whatever, you're like, all right, this guy's coming in at me. You know, I'm, I'm going to get some contact here. I'm not going to foul him. I'm not going to try and hurt him. But And it's the same thing with footy, right? Like when you, you played footy for a lot of years, you know, you might – you might go past a guy or whatever, or in the in the heat of the defensive line or whatever, you go, yeah, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna knock him. Or and you see in the AFL all the time, right, where it's legal, you know, they push each other all the time and stuff and whatever. And it's the same type of thing, you know. You just let them know that you're there. You, you're just trying to, you know, assert some dominance over him, be a bit physical, push him around a little bit. He meant to hit him, but he didn't mean to hit him like that, you know. And that's and that's I think where it comes down to intent. Yeah, he intended to make contact with him because he was a runner that was in his way. That was an alter- another forward in the opposition that got in his way. That I'd never seen know, it. He just he pushed past and was going to push past yeah. him, so he knew he pushed past him and be a bit physical with him. But he did not mean to put his elbow onto the guy's chin and hurt him. And I, I think that you could see that from Barnett afterwards. So that's to me where the intention kind of comes into it and and where it sort of needed to be focused. But um, I, I was happy with the result as well. I think it's totally fair. Something that's not very fair, per se. Our next topic: uh, kickoff times for fans. Uh, I was trawling the pages on the last couple of weeks for Supercoach, for just NRL chat to fan pages, and there's a, a common theme throughout all the rounds, and it's one that's been around for a while. And I'm not sure that the NRL really listens to fans about with the kickoff times. And I have to say, my my absolute bugbear is Sunday 6:15 p.m. Now, I, for the life of me, don't know why we give the AFL a free kick on a Sunday. We don't have any football played until 4 o'clock. Ah, it's ridiculous. And then at 6.15, I, I don't know about you, look, I've got two kids, young kids. I'm making dinner. A wife. <laughs> got a wife. And, and you need to eat as well, right? So, like, That's, if you're cooking dinner I don't know. at 6.15. She suffered me watching three days worth of footy as it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just think that they're just so disconnected with a 6.15 kickoff. Like, who can watch that? Like, you've got to make dinner. You've got to eat. It goes for a couple of hours, and it's a Sunday night before you're getting up to start a, a work and school week the next day. You can't tell me that rates any better than a 2.30 Sunday afternoon game. Yeah. <laughs> On on TV, like surely the six the six fifteen game wouldn't have the ratings that a, a two thirty Sunday game would have. So I checked the ratings and I was actually slightly surprised. Um, so it doesn't push our argument forward as much as I would like. Um, but <laughs> basically, throughout the first three rounds, you can see that the Sunday game was was middle of the pack on average, and so each game was sort of slightly below average to average. Um, so it's not the worst, but it certainly could be a lot better. And I tend to think, you know, we, they, Foxtel, do, oh, Foxtel obviously have all the games. So they, they do their Super Saturday thing, right? And it's like, well, you know, why can't you have Super Sunday? Oh, why, why, why is Saturday going to be so much better than Sunday? And why do we give other sports all day until four o'clock? Because, you know, we have all this lead in too on a Sunday, right? You've got like the Sunday footy show at nine. You've got all this other stuff happening with NRLW and, and everything earlier on in the day. And then you just, you're waiting until the day's basically over for a four o'clock kickoff. It doesn't make any sense, but even just attending per se, like I'll never attend a 6.15pm game on a uh, Sunday unless it's maybe a public holiday. It's been obvious they don't care about bums on suits at crowds for a while with some of the schedules. It's like the the, uh, the six o'clock Friday afternoon game is the same. You're not going to get people that 
at the game. That's not that's not what it's about, obviously. You're 100% right. Who the hell's going to go out on a Sunday night after a full weekend of kids' sport, everything else you've been doing? Oh, let's just go to footy at 6.15 on Sunday before we've got to go back to work on Monday. But then, it's a horrible time slot. Even, like, uh, I know me and Perso are talking from our perspective as, as older family men, but, like, even for the young guys. Like, I can remember when I was, you know, in my early 20s and stuff, you know, uh, Friday night was the game you wanted to go to. Yeah, well, you're going out, going out and having some drinks on a Friday, Saturday. By Sunday night, you're wrecked. Like you, you, you don't want to be going out on a on a Sunday night to the footy. You go the Friday or the Saturday night. But I tell you what, you, what was fun when you used to be able to go to a one o'clock Sunday kickoff and have a Sunday session. Yeah, you can't. 100%. You can't do that at all six fifteen. You can do that at one. All over and done with by six o'clock, and you can get up and go to work next morning. Exactly right. So, I mean, I'm sure the NRL won't listen to this podcast, but. They really should because uh, I don't know one fan that thinks that 6.15 is a good one. And it's you're right in the point that you made, per so it is they don't really care about the bums on seats. They more care about the TV ratings and the, and the, the TV deal, I should say, and certainly the networks dictate a lot of the time slots that they have. But even from a TV perspective, surely someone's smart enough to say, look, just because the numbers are okay doesn't mean they can't be better. Well- I use that the six o'clock Friday game, the early game on the Friday as a prime example. I wasn't opposed to that when it came in because I thought they could use it with time frames. Like I thought the Warriors might get a, quite a few goes at home because of that. Real like the Knights, you could, it, it's a different kettle of fish going to a six o'clock game in New England than it is to Sydney. But they're all predominantly Sydney games, <laughs> so I just I just don't get it. Like. Uh, it, it could work. And it's like a pub time. Let people knock off, go to the pub, watch a footy. Yeah, that's a good bit. Well, you think they would have them at, at Canberra or at Newcastle, North Queensland. Warriors was the prime one because the time slot just fits. It's like prime time. But I know we've been cut by a cab the last two years, but this came in a, a while ago before that. And they've just never done it right, I don't think. Mm, and I mean, I know that you, I saw that you were vocal about a couple of the other time slots too. Um, it's not as big a deal for me. Like I get up early in the morning sometimes, especially with the kids, but um, you're you're a tradie. You get up really early every morning. So I know that you also made the point that why are we kicking off at 8 o'clock on a Thursday? Like why can't we kick off at 7 o'clock? And it is an interesting point, you know. Like, Well, kids go to school too. Boys go and watch Well, it. that's true as well, you know. And I mean, I know that they probably are thinking, especially with the early rounds like daylight savings and stuff, it's an hour earlier in Queensland and stuff. Um, but, you know, Six o'clock kickoff on a Thursday for Queensland, seven o'clock for New South Wales. That doesn't seem too bad. Just bring it forward an hour. And it's certainly, like you mentioned, like you could probably get away with, you know, if your Tigers are playing on a Thursday night, if if you, your sons have to stay up until 8.45, you could do that once a month or something. But they're not going to stay up until 10 o'clock or whatever. Nah, that's right. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's always all about ratings. You're not getting people to the crowds either. For that, which obviously the money comes from the TV rights deal, so the bums on so it's just it's not really as important in over the last decade to the NRL. Mm. Well, me and Perso both are advocates for the the times to be changed a little bit and tweaked, especially that Sunday slot of games that needs to be rethought. But uh, to be perfectly honest and to be transparent as well, and to give people some actual facts and numbers, uh, unfortunately, we're all 
too big a footy fans to switch off. So, <laughs> so we're dinosaurs. The old three o'clock Saturday game, Barnsley. That's that's my favourite though. <laughs> uh, well, when you look at the numbers per se, um, the the NRL viewership is actually up by like, I think it was fourteen percent after the first two rounds. I haven't seen the the, the third, including round three, but um, viewership is skyrocketing. Um, and attendance has been really high too. Now, attendance you can kind of write off because the attendance numbers, you can say, well, we haven't been able to go to footy and stuff and whatever. So, you know, what are we really comparing to and stuff? Uh, but the the viewership is about 14% up the first two rounds of footy. So people are watching more and more. Um, but one of the – I'll finish off by saying one of the several different things I don't like about the NRL and its leadership is that they are far too content with success. They don't look at making the most of it. You know, and I'll liken it to an analogy with a footy team. You know, a, uh, an okay footy team might go up 20 to 6 and take their foot off the gas because, you know, they're happy. They've got a 14-point win. That's fine. A really good footy team will want to put the team to the sword and win by 50 if they can, and they'll be looking at ways to do that and be ruthless. That's what I want the NRL to be doing. They shouldn't be content with a 14-point victory with their 14% increase. They should be going for the throat and seeing how much more viewership they can get. And that's always the thing. Just because you've got a positive doesn't mean you can't improve on it. The Queensland Big Three, coaching staff for the Maroons, mate, and we're both avid New South Welshmen. Interesting appointments. So obviously we have Thurston, Cameron Smith, and the man himself, Billy Slater, at the helm. Mixed bag of reviews from you know media pundits and so forth and also from fans although I think Queensland fans have been for the most part pretty positive about it uh, obviously Queensland are well past their dynasty now um, New South Wales are you know they did lose the unlosable series but either sides of that they've done pretty well uh, and we won last year now is this going to be the change that the Queensland need to be able to actually be competitive and build another dynasty or compete more with New South Wales than they have the last sort of four years? That's an interesting question because, uh, look, I know what I think about it, but how do you feel about, you know, that big three coaching staff being on board for the Maroons this year and, and how they'll go? Well, when they announced Billy Slater as the coach, you could always see this coming, really. Um, it's... Definitely a good thing for Queensland to have those guys around. Cameron Smith, if he chooses to continue down the media, he'll probably be the best coach that never coached, like Sturlow, I think. So in these sort of um, environments, obviously Billy was always going to pick Smith to come in and just have nice guys around. Uh, Josh Hanna is there as well, who's a fairly handy coach, but... I think it's after the, what they've been through with, with Kevin and everything else, I think that these this crew that they've got in now more might instill them to a bit more of the old school Queensland mentality, which is going to be good for them. Let's say good for us. I'd, but uh, I just don't think they've got the talent to compete with New South Wales at the moment. We've got a, a, a plethora of talent for a change. After the, the, their dominance, I think we're going to go through a, a dominant period for New South Wales. Yeah, I think that as well. Um, but, you know, I think that's what Queenslanders love to hear because they can pencil in underdogs for 2022 again now and, you know, they love that. But um, I, I'm i in two minds about the appointment, to be perfectly honest. Uh, all those three guys are legends of Queensland, uh, not just that, but legends of the game of rugby league. So, uh, If you're coaching a club, it would be horrible. But it's origin, so it's sort of... You, play, it, you get to that level, I don't know if they 
so much coaching players. It's more about the whole environment, the whole uh, bringing in, in the team and the, the weeks leading up to it. They can all play football. You don't get to that level if you don't. So you're not really coaching anyone, which is pretty much what Mamman Inga did. He wasn't coaching anyone. <laughs> that side didn't need to be coached. It's probably got five coaches in it. That probably so, that probably opens the door for um, the hesitancy that I have about it. Um, Meninga's a really good example, so I'm glad that you raised him. He had Michael Hagen under him, who was a very – and Neil Henry. And Neil Henry. Both of those guys were very experienced coaches. So, you know, you could even – you could even argue in Mao's first year or two, um, he might have been the, the figurehead coach and he was certainly the boss for the team. But, you know, the real coaches were the, the two guys under him while he was learning what he was doing. And that's my big thing with this and why I'm I'm going to say, you know, we've, we've said about the positives, but one of the negatives is out of these three guys, they've coached zero games. They, they don't have any coaching experience at all. Um, Josh Henne is a nice get to throw on the coaching staff there, uh, but he is a younger coach as well still. Um, so I, if I'm if I'm getting those type of guys into my team, into my coaching system, which I 100% would be doing, like it is 100% a great move for Queensland and it's it's a pretty big shot in the arm to get all three of those guys. But I just, I don't know who you'd get, but like if Wayne Bennett wanted to do it, and it's an interesting year too because Bennett's obviously got his Dolphins contract next year and he's doing nothing this year, but, you know, Putting, putting barbs in the media, throwing grenades at different clubs and whatever, and just laughing on his lounge, having his scotch, thinking about how funny it is because they can't say anything because he's not actually coaching the team this year. You know, it's, it's probably just to me felt like the perfect time to say to Wayne, mate, you love these three Queensland guys as well. Why don't you coach this year? Let them coach under you and you can teach them the ropes and stuff a little bit. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets wrapped in there at some point, to be honest. Yeah, he probably will get roped in. Um, whether he would have ever taken the job, but I mean, I guess my point is that I I just feel that they would have been better served doing a bit of an apprenticeship, having a bit of an experience coaching and stuff before being thrown in the deep end. Um, that's probably the first thing. Um, the second thing is these guys, one of the great things they bring to the Queensland side is that they had a decade of, of winning, you know, the, the longest streak ever in modern origin history where the Blues were put to the sword for a decade. Um, that's fantastic. And that winning attitude is what you need. And they know how to win, obviously. They are inexperienced coaches, though. And this isn't the Dynasty Queensland team. So I am thinking to myself... That's the one issue. It's not the mm-hmm. same plethora of players that like Mal had. So when things don't work for them, and when they really, all three of them, only experience mainly winning in the Queensland origin arena... Do they really have the experience or are they equipped coaching-wise to be able to deal with that and make changes and not, you know, have try and do the same sort of thing that they were doing before? That's a big question, isn't it? Because it's, it's one thing to have, you know, all the positives about guys that have won so much, but one of the negatives is they haven't really gone through the losses and tough times and need to figure out how to win. Yeah, it's, let's be honest, their squad's a lot weaker than theirs. Yeah, like... A lot weaker. <laughs> it's pretty much you're at Queensland and you put two or three games together in NRL, you're going to be talked about for origin. Mm-hmm. So that'll be the big test. Well, obviously, they'll install all the, the old Queensland mentality and about us against them and all that, 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 having those guys together and whatever team they get, it, it'd be great for them. But, yeah, can they coach them into being out of beat? 
through Red Hot New South Arsenal. I don't know. They'll definitely install the passion in them. But it can't be a bad thing. But, yeah, it's they're not going to coach it. Like, I don't think Queensland sides needed to coach anyone for years. That's the problem. So now they do. Like, you're yep. going to go in the underdogs now. So they never know these guys to actually maybe come up with some tactics and some plays rather than just playing on the old us versus them underdog tactic. And the only reason that, that New South Wales lost the, the unlosable series a couple of years ago was because of coaching. Uh, and I don't want to put too much on Freddie because I think that too much is put on him. Like Bennett's got 20-plus years coaching experience on, on Freddie and Freddie will get better and better. And I think that he's coached quite well overall. But the only way Bennett won that series was through coaching. Uh, and that's something that these Queensland guys don't have as much as they have everything else. So I, I'm not saying it's going to be bad. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying I would have done it a little bit differently, and I think that people might put too much pressure on them too early because of their stature as players. Because the last point, Persa, not all the great players make great coaches, and some of them don't even like it when they start it. No, 100%. Look at uh, Joey. <laughs> JT. For example, I JT exactly. I don't. Matty Johns the other. was a few. It was about a month ago. He said, "Oh, Matty, Joey would be the best uh, coach. He should be head coach." Oh, that was just a, that's that stitch up. It's just one of his brotherly <laughs> stitch ups. Joey had no intention. It was he just got thirty attention, and Matty would have just been sitting there laughing. And I listened to their morning uh, podcast, and it's it would have been, it's the same with JT. JT's in exactly the same boat. He'd, he'd be a specialist halves coach, but he'd never make a, a head coach. And there was another JT too that we were talking about earlier that was a very smart halfback in Jason Taylor. Mm. And he, he didn't get another head coaching job after he was done at the Tigers. No, but he's done several. He's been at pretty high profit clubs as an assistant coach. Yeah. So but it's, it's a massive step to go from that. You, it's it's more than just having football knowledge. You've got to have uh, management knowledge. You've pretty much got to be a psychologist for a lot of the time. And that's the thing. At an origin level, not so much because you're getting all these players coming in, they're all guns, they're all there. But at club level, it's, that's that's the thing. You, you have to be – that's why Bennett and guys like that have been so good. Bellamy, because they just get the best out of people. They just recognise their qualities and they – don't try and change them. They recognise their qualities and make the best out of it. Yep, 100%. And, and that, that'll work if a Queensland's got a red-hot side or they're against a, a not a really crappy New South Wales team, but neither of those things are going to be the case in the near future, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, it, it might be a bit of a tough couple of years for these guys. I'm, I'm really, i tell you, I'm, I'm interested to see it, though. I, I do think it's good for Queensland overall. I do think it sparks a lot of interest in the origin uh, team for Queensland, like they're always very passionate supporters, which I love. Oh, it'll definitely make the camp for the players to get selected a lot better, having all those guys around mm. them, 100%. Yep, definitely. So, I mean, that's that's one thing. Um, I just hope that, uh, that the fans in the media don't pile on if there's a couple of series losses in a row or all these guys, whether it's Slater, JT or Smith, decide to walk away from it because um, because they get put you know too much on them too soon. But... We will see. Um, by the way, New South Wales are going to win 3 0, guys. So that's my tip. But <laughs> yeah. let's finish off the podcast on that one, Perso. Thanks very much for jumping on. Always enjoy just having a yarn about footy with you. Yeah, it's always good, mate. It's been good. Uh, everyone, you can download the podcast basically everywhere. 
We are on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and now just added to Amazon as well as Audible. Follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And also make sure that you hit up the sponsor of the podcast, Topsport, topsport.com.au, 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. You can gamble responsibly on there, but also get some of the best odds in market and some great customer service. Use the promo code SCALLSTARS when you open an account, and they'll take great care of you as a listener. Enjoy round four, guys. It's going to kick off in about an hour's time from recording this podcast. It should be a cracking round of footy. Got a whole heap of topics that didn't even make this week's podcast. So I can't wait to chat footy again, talking footy podcast out next Friday. And if you like the Supercoach ones, Supercoach for round five TLT will be out next Wednesday as always. Enjoy the footy, everyone. Chat again soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game.